What a great way to begin this morning. And appropriate as we uh, continue in our series, Glimpse Part 2. Um, and really this idea of getting a glimpse of God. Uh, I, I mentioned last week, and if you didn't uh, catch it, you can go back to awakeningchurch.com and catch up on the series. But uh, all it took for me was a simple glimpse to change the very course and direction of my life. And uh, it was a glimpse of this beautiful blonde girl that I just had to get to know, and as a result, now have three beautiful, amazing kids and married to the best friend. Uh, unbelievable. Now, here's what's interesting. We've all had that experience. Not that experience with Jenny. That's weird. Uh, but, but we've all had this type of experience where you caught a glimpse of something. You caught a glimpse of someone. It was a moment in time, and it redirected the course of your life. And for many, you've had the experience that I shared last week of, of catching a glimpse of God in a way that, that it redirected your relationship. You, perhaps you moved from this religious engagement to a relationship with God. Perhaps you moved from never stepping foot into a church to having this vibrant faith. And here's why. Because when you get a glimpse, when I get a glimpse of God, it changes your life. It redirects the very course of your life. In fact, put it a different way, it brings new life. That's what we're all about at Awakening. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Jesus. Our goal, our aim is to help every single person step into and then live out a brand new life in Christ. Well, how do you get this glimpse of God? And here's what we said last week. Yeah, we said this, that when you look at Jesus, you get a glimpse of God. Like when you see Jesus, when you examine the New Testament documents, the first four books of, of the Bible called the Gospels, when you begin to read those, you're not just reading a good man. You're not just reading a great teacher. You're not just reading a miracle maker. You are reading the story of God visiting the planet in the person of Jesus. And so when you look at Jesus, when you take a look at his life, you're seeing God. You're seeing how God would respond to the hurting and broken. You're seeing how God would respond uh, to those who had pushed him away, who had gone their own way. And you're seeing how God would respond to the self-righteous religious group. The New Testament writers experienced this life change. Each of them had this life-changing encounter with Jesus that, that redirected the very course of their life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all sat down to pen the story of Jesus. Now, if you got your Bibles, okay, well, that's going to be tough. Um, open your phones, but it doesn't work out quite as cool. Um, but if you got your Bibles, open up to the very beginning of Matthew. And, and I can just show you like this, all right? Oh, boy, we're going to work on that one. 
We are a Bible church. We teach out of the Bible, so it's probably good if you bring your Bible uh, with you to church. Now, here's what I want you to catch. I don't want you to miss this. This is pretty incredible. Now, Matthew, right here, you see this right here, the beginning of Matthew. I want you to take one page if you got your Bibles, and right there, see that one little page? Flip it. One page back, it brings you to the very last chapter of the last book in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. It's a book from this prophet Malachi. Now, what's significant about this was this was the very last prophetic utterance, the last prophet sent from God to the people of Israel. After this writing, after this moment, we flip the page, and we're in Matthew. However, what this one singular little page represents is four Hundred years. Four hundred years, what theologians call of silence. Four hundred years of waiting, of Israel longing and hoping for the coming Messiah. And they were actually looking for someone to come before the Messiah. In fact, Malachi at the very end talks about the prophet Elijah who would come before, that there would be this Elijah or one like the Elijah who would come to prepare the way for the Messiah. 400 years of wondering whether God would keep his promises. 400 years with no one sent from God and Israel waiting and trying to figure it out. And when would they be restored and redeemed by God? 400 years and then the silence broke. And John writes this. There was a man sent from God 400 years later whose name was John. By the way, John literally means God is gracious. There was a man sent from God. Now, if you think John is being egotistical, writing about himself, this isn't John, the one who authored the Gospel of John. In fact, that John, the author of this book, never mentions himself. He only talks about himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved or beloved. This is speaking about John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist who would fulfill the prophecies of old as a messenger being sent ahead, as one preparing the way for the coming Messiah, as a voice in the wilderness. Jesus would identify John and he'd say that John the Baptist was the Elijah to come, the long-awaited prophet who was going to prepare the way after the 400 years of silence. Now, John was definitely a prophet in the Old Testament sense of it. You pick up his story in the Gospel of Luke, and you see him in all four of the Gospels. Now think about this. Sent from God. John lived out in the wilderness. John wore camel's hair, which was not in vogue in his day. Very itchy. Very itchy. And he lived off of wild honey and locusts. And he was this unique voice in the wilderness. 
and God was using him powerfully. In fact, a revival was taking place. People would flock out to the wilderness, out of their way to hear this voice out in the wilderness preach repentance, calling the people of Israel to return back to God. And he's doing, uh, he's calling them to repent and then baptize. And people are coming in droves out to see John. There was a man sent from God whose name is John. Well, what did John the Baptist do? Why did God send him? He did this. He came as a witness. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light. Remember last week we ended with, in him was light and the life, speaking of Jesus, was the light of all mankind. He came to testify concerning the light. He came to prepare the way for the light of the world so that hearts would be ready for the coming king. Why? So that all, so that through him all might believe. I'm so used to you guys having notes. I want you to circle stuff. I can't. You have your Advent reader in your notes. The word witness is is to confirm, to give evidence, to be a firsthand authenticator, that all might believe. Think about this. This man sent from God, this prophet, his entire purpose, John the Baptist's entire purpose on this planet was to point people to Jesus. That's it. Like God said, I'm going to send you, I'm going to use you, and you're to prepare the way. Your purpose for your life is simply to be like the moon. You just simply reflect the glory of the sun to a dark world. Your purpose is to point people to Jesus. That's your one aim and your one goal in life. Now imagine Imagine if you had that type of clarity with your life. Imagine if you had that type of direction, that type of focus. Imagine how easy decisions would be if you had one aim and one purpose and one direction, a clear, concise focus to your life. Well, you don't have to imagine. If you do have your Bibles, flip over to Matthew 28. See, God didn't just send John. God is now sending every single follower of Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, Jesus speaking to his disciples, his final words before he ascends into heaven. He says, you have a purpose Your purpose, my purpose, every single follower of Jesus is sent from God to point people back to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then you have this incredible promise. And surely I am with you until the very end of the age, and I have this corny joke in my head, and don't call me Shirley. I, I know, it's just corny. I'm sorry. But listen to this. 
John the Baptist's entire purpose for his life was to point people to the light of the world coming in, to be like the moon reflecting the light of the sun to a dark world. And he was sent by God. And imagine what would change in your world if you began to embrace as a follower of Jesus, you are sent by God. You are sent by God. Like, like, like not the person next to you, and not one day, someday. Not somehow you have to arrive, get better, no more. He said, go. I'll prepare you. You just go. You just give what you got. You just begin to reflect me. You are sent by God. And did you know the world is ready? Did you know the world's needing this? The world is more ready than ever. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 9. He talked about that we would pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Why? Because the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ready. Like we look around and we think nobody cares. And the reality is, is we live in a dark world with economic uncertainty, with global crises, with with political uh, chaos. And you know what that does? It creates, it actually doesn't create it. What it does is reveals the hunger and thirst that we have inside. Is there hope? Is there peace? Is there meaning? You are sent by God to a hurting world to bring Jesus. Our purpose in life is simply to lead people to Jesus. Those of us who are followers of Jesus. There are not professional Christians and unprofessional Christians. There are just Christians who follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus. Well, how? How do we do that? We've got the Great Commission, God sending Just imagine if you began to embrace that. And then we get caught up because we've been around some Jesus jerks. You know what I'm saying. Jesus jerks. If you've gone to a concert recently, you've been around a Jesus jerk. With a bullhorn and a sign. Yelling. Condemnation. That's not the way of Jesus. I'm pretty sure... The only time Jesus yelled that I can see in the gospel was at religious people, not people far from God. Well, we should probably take note of that. Got the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Like, that's our purpose. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. That's our purpose. To awaken this hurting, broken world to new life in Jesus. How? Then you have the Great Commandment. Jesus said this. Love God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Like with all that you are. And he said, then the second command is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. You'd then go on to like define that or refine that in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, where he says, a new command I give you, that you love one another in the same way that I have loved you. By this, the entire world will know you are my disciples. It's not so much that you have to have all the right answers if you love people well. If we're just simply a people of love. See, like the moon... We reflect the sun. So many of you are unaware that you already bring light everywhere you go. 
You, you, you are unaware that you are actually bringing Jesus everywhere you go. Just imagine if you were aware that the light of the world is reflecting through you to others. Now, we were out to dinner uh, this past week. And my daughter had a basketball game, and so afterwards, it was our one night that week, last week, that we had as a family. And as we're hanging out uh, at the game, it's like, we should go out to eat because I love going out to eat, and it's fun, and why not? And so we're driving back, trying to figure out where do we go out to eat, what do we do, what's going on, and how do we get through this? And so we're like in Campbell, which isn't like a place that we're normally... In. We hang out in Willow Glen. I have a small circle that I go around to. I'm very routine. We're driving downtown Campbell, wondering where do we go, what do we do, how do we do all this? And then we're like, hey, why don't we go to Blue Line Pizza? We haven't been there in like five years. There's a fan. <laughs> so we stop, we go to Blue Line Pizza. Pizza. We walk in, we wanted to booth seat, so we go all the way back to the booth. And then we had this awesome waitress. Now, if you ever know, like, Jenny and I, we love our waiters or waitresses, love getting to know them. I don't know what it is. We just like it. And, and so we're starting to hang out, starting to talk with our, with our waitress, and she's just amazing. She's just full of life, everywhere she's going, hustling, doing great stuff. And, and we're talking to her, and um, then she noticed we're talking about Ella's basketball game, and she's, oh, where, where do your kids go to school? And, and we say, Lost God is Christian. And she, her face lights up, and she says, are you Christians? And we said, yeah. And my wife asked, are you? And she says, yes. Now, here's what my wife said next. I thought so. I thought so. You know why? Because the light of Christ was shining through her in the way she worked. The light of Christ was shining through her in the way she worked. And we had this really cool conversation, and it was amazing to get to know her. But she was, I don't know if she was aware of it or not, but, but just going about her work, she's reflecting the light of Christ. What would change for you? If you understood that the place where God had you, you're reflecting Jesus. If you just became aware of it. That people saw it in you, and they weren't exactly sure what it was. They just knew something was different. And then you begin to have an awareness and pray for opportunities. God, would you let me share? Would you open up a door? Would you let me talk about that moment? Here was really cool. She's talking. She's like, you know, I, I don't really have a home church. Where is your church? Right around the corner from where she's living. And like, I was driving back with my kids, and I just said, kids, I just want you to pay attention to something. We had no idea where we were going to dinner. It felt like absolutely random. We had no idea, you know, that being seated all the way in the back, we just like booze. That's the reason we sat there, happened to have this young woman as our waitress. And yet God orchestrated every single step so that we could have that conversation. Could it be? Could it be the things that seem just happenstance in your life are orchestrated by God for you to be used to bring out his light to a hurting and broken world? John the Baptist's entire purpose on this planet was to point people to Jesus. He was sent by God and you are sent by God. Just say that with me. I am sent by God. 
I, I had to because I just don't feel like you believe it yet. I don't. You are sent by God. God longs to use you. God's orchestrating your steps and bringing people into your life. Maybe you make this your prayer. This is a prayer we've prayed through the course of our time as a church. But I would encourage you this Christmas season, just that you would make this your prayer. God, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone in some way about you today? God, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone in some way about you today, that you would just make that your daily prayer, and then all of a sudden you'll become aware that God's actually been orchestrating your steps the entire time, bringing people along your path that he longs for you to encourage. And you don't have to be like all weird, like Christian person. You just got to be you, your gifts, and love them. And when you get an opportunity, you say, man, no, that's not me. That's actually Jesus in me. Hello. And then John makes this important clarification. He says, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. That John the Baptist was not the light of the world. He wasn't the coming Messiah. And this is why this is so important. Did you know that like 20 years after Jesus' death, they ran into followers of John the Baptist still waiting for the coming Messiah? And then um, they helped them lead them to know Jesus at the time. But here's why I think this is so important, why John was so emphatic about this. We tend to elevate people who've had a significant impact in our lives spiritually, don't we? We tend to put them on a pedestal. For some, there's someone who's had a significant impact in your life spiritually, and they are close, and what we can subtly do is they can become our lifeline instead of Jesus. No, no, no. No, they're not the light. They only point to the light, only a witness to a light. We keep Jesus the Savior and we keep the, the servant, the sender in their proper place. I think there's another reason why John was so emphatic about this as well. Because when we begin to engage in the mess of the world, we can slowly begin to become the Savior for a person instead of point them to the Savior. When you begin to engage in someone's life, when you begin to walk with them, and you see the hurt, and you see the need, and you see all that, what can I do? i got to do this. i got to do this. And I've watched it. I've seen people try to be someone else's Savior. There is only one Savior. His name is Jesus. John the Baptist was asked what he was going to do as his followers started following Jesus. See, he started this big revival, and then Jesus shows up on the scene, and then his disciples and his followers begin to follow Jesus, and some people around him were like going, hey, man, okay, you're losing it. This guy's taking them all. And you know what he said? He must increase, and I must decrease. He must increase. My goal is not to be the superstar. My goal is not to be the main character. My goal is not to build followers or a platform. My goal and my aim is to point people to Jesus, to reflect the sun to a dark and hurting world. And that's what John does. He then gets us back. The author, John, points us back to Jesus. He writes... The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
That word true is, is authentic, genuine. It's the light that sends chaos to flight. The light that brings revelation and guidance in life. There's plenty of counterfeit light in our world, isn't there? Offering hope. Maybe it's success, power, platform. Maybe pleasures, possession, religion, family, financial freedom. Really, whatever your version of the American dream is. And we get so distracted with this counterfeit light we often fail to recognize the true light of the world. Running after things that offer what they cannot provide. And then, what I think is the saddest verse in the entire Bible. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. God eternal, the creator, was stepping into time, space, and history. And then it says this. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Like the creator, the maker of heaven and earth stepped into time, space, and history. And his creation didn't recognize him. He goes even further than that. It says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, didn't accept him, didn't welcome him. In Isaiah 53, we see this prophecy about the coming Messiah. It unpacks what the suffering servant, that this Messiah, this king who would restore, would first have to suffer first. It says that he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and held in low esteem. And then it goes on. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Isn't it amazing that God even revealed how the Messiah was going to come, and they still missed it. And unfortunately today, I think we still miss it. Get distracted. I mean, we have an entire holiday set aside for Emmanuel, God with us, and yet it is so filled with hurry and hustle is so filled with somehow presence and more that we miss it, don't we? Let me ask you, what are you running after? What are you hoping will fulfill you? What are you looking to to bring you purpose in life? St. Augustine once wrote, and if you don't know his life story, is he was no stranger to running. He, he lived a very wild life before he 
had a convergent moment, a glimpse of God, and his life was forever changed. And he wrote this, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And perhaps that's for you. Your heart is restless. The anxiety and the pace and the desire for peace in your life. You've been running and you've been looking for everything and everyone to satisfy. And it will not. Only Jesus will. This is why John concludes this way. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to all who accepted him, to all who welcomed him, to those who believed in his name. What does that mean to believe in his name? Uh, and we talk about that, that we pray and then pray in the name of Jesus. And, and in the name in that day just talks about in alignment with the person and character of that, uh, that person. And so in the name of Jesus is, is in the character of who Jesus is and what he said about him, that Jesus is God, that he lived a perfect life. That he loved you and he loved me all the way to the cross. That he took the punishment for rejecting God and going our own way on the cross in that moment. And that he defeated and he conquered the grave. So that when we put our trust in him, we move from death to life. That we are actually spiritually reborn. New life. True life. And then it says this. He gave the right. That, that word literally is authority. Excusia. We find it all throughout the New Testament talking about the authority of the kingdom. He gave the authority to be children of God. He gave the authority, the right, the power to be the children of God. How? Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of the husband's will, but born of God. Meaning that it's God's work in you. You didn't do the work. And for some, the response this morning is to receive and believe. It's the gift of Christmas. If I can use maybe a tired out analogy or illustration. One commentator writes that when a person offers you a gift that has cost him or her much, it does not become yours until you receive it from that person. The beautifully wrapped package in the outstretched hand of the giver will do the receiver no good until he or she reaches out to take it. And Christmas offers and reminds us that the gift of the world in the person of Jesus has been extended to you, and our response is, would you accept? Your response is, would you receive the gift? Would you say yes to Jesus? Would you believe in his name? Would you go, you know what? I've been running after, and I'm restless, and I'm tired, and I've been searching for everything else to satisfy. Jesus, would you come into my life and make me new? I believe you indeed are God. And at that moment, immediately, you step from death to life. Um. A while back, I was cleaning out my drawers, and I have a junk drawer. Anybody have a junk drawer? I, yeah, I have three of them. Um, overachiever, I know. But I was trying to clean out my drawers, and I found a few cards. 
and I began to go through them. They were birthday cards. They were birthday cards that I received two years ago. That somehow in the chaos and the hurry of whatever that day, they just got thrown in my drawer to look at later. Unopened birthday cards. With gift cards in the birthday cards. It was a good day. It was a good day. He gave the right, the authority to become children of God. See, I think some of us in this room, some of us in this room are like you have the gift card and you forgot all about it. You're a child of God, and you forgot all about it. See, that gift card, I already had it in my possession. I had received it. I had forgotten about it, and it went unused. And I had a wonderful gift card to iTunes and another wonderful gift card to Amazon. And yet it did me no good because it was hidden, and I'd forgotten about it. And for some, you have forgotten that you are a child of God. Because a child of God comes with the full rights and blessings of an heir to the king. You have forgotten that you are a son or a daughter of the king most high. You have forgotten that you are completely forgiven. You have forgotten that there is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. You have forgotten that every spiritual blessing in Christ is available to you now. You don't have to plead for it. You don't have to work for it. It's already yours. You have a heavenly gift card and the limit to it is unlimited to it. It's infinite in its resources, and it's yours now, not because you earned it or deserved it, because you are His. And the response is for you to go, I am His kid. Don't you dare walk around defeated or discouraged Don't you dare let the enemy lie to you that you're worthless. Don't you dare think somehow you've done something that would cause the God of the universe to turn your back, his back on you. You have unrestricted access. All the resources of heaven available to you. So you don't have to plead for it. You just simply go, I'm his kid. As we close this morning, I just simply want to give you a moment to talk to Jesus. For some, it's just a conversation where you're, you, you want to step into a relationship with him. You want to receive the gift. And so you go, okay, today, God... I give you my life. Would you give me a new life in return? I believe you are the Son of God. And for others, maybe you have forgotten who you are. Maybe you've forgotten how precious you are. And where this morning, you would remind yourself of your you have a gift card from God with unlimited resources. 
You didn't earn it. You didn't have to work for it. You're just his kid. You're the object of his affection. He delights in you. And so I'm just going to let the lights go down low. And I'm going to give you time to simply be with Jesus.